Bibles, turn to Romans 8. Uh, if you attended last Sunday's SALT session, it was uh, Rod Hostetter's last uh, SALT session that we had at 11 a.m., uh, going through the material that he presented, and I was sitting at the booth, and he started teaching through Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, the same verses I'm teaching through this morning. Um, and, and so if you were in that class, you are dismissed to help with children's ministry. Um, But, uh, you know, it was was a good primer in my mind getting us thinking through the text and um, just excited to share these truths. When I shared many weeks ago now, I I think it's been eight or nine weeks that we've been in Romans chapter 8 alone, I had mentioned in my first uh, comments that this is my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that it is evident uh, on your perspective of why now. Um, but it's really these verses, as we summarize Paul's thoughts on our assurance and security, that really put together in my mind why uh, this passage is so um, encouraging and strengthening to the heart of the child of God. Uh, I'm going to say a phrase, it's really a characteristic of God, and I want you to shout out in turn uh, what thoughts <clears throat> what thoughts come to mind. The love of God. What thoughts come to mind when you hear this phrase, the love of God? What's that? Salvation? Boundless? Everlasting? Unending? Undeserved, unconditional, a lot of uns out there. Perfect. Perfect. The cross. Anything else? So as we are concluding our time in, in this passage, we're confronted with the amazing power of God's love. It's mentioned several times as Paul is drawing a close to our security and assurance because Paul wants us to know that God's love is unchanging and it's so unchanging and so powerful that it is his love that holds us secure to him. And we sang a hymn a couple songs ago, He Will Hold Me Fast. It is God and his love that holds us fast to him. And we sang in a few of the verses the idea that We are um, fickle in our love towards God. You know, it's hot and cold sometimes. And sometimes it's lukewarm. We become apathetic. You know, we're everywhere, right, when it comes to our love for God. We're on the highest of mountains and we're in the, the deepest of valleys. And we need to know as God's people That His love for us, the relationship that He has called us to, is not conditional on how our temperature is, but it is conditional upon His power that is shown in the love that He has given through His Son, Jesus. And so I hope this morning, as we conclude our thoughts in this passage, uh, that you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. I think we would all do well to consider this thought of the the greatness and the power of God's love because it impacts the way that we think and live. 
To know God's love is to know His favor, to know His grace, to know His goodness, and so much more. To know His love is to know His Son, Jesus. Now, Scripture presents the idea that God has a general love for His creation. He does. For God so loved the world. Scripture has this picture painted that God causes the sun to rise and fall and the rain to, to fall on the good and the bad. That God shows general love to humanity. But Scripture also paints a picture, especially in Romans 8 and in other places, that God has a peculiar love, a special love for His children. I can't fathom the degrees or the changes in degree. That's, that's something above my pay grade. But the Scriptures are clear that God has a special love for all of those who have placed their trust in Him. And if that's you this morning, what you're going to see uncovered in this passage is the magnitude and the depth of that love. And I pray it lifts your hearts up knowing that your Father loves you more than you could ever realize. And I pray that if you're with us this morning and, and you like the idea that God loves that way, but you're not sure what that means, what you come to understand in this passage is that there is a God in heaven that has moved every obstacle and has provided the opportunity for you to come to Him and be loved by Him in such a way that you will enjoy Him and He will be with you forever. Now, I'm not talking about having a casual understanding of God and who He is. I'm not talking about a general belief that God is real. I'm talking about a deep, abiding, settled understanding that God loves us in such a way that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And He will never let us go. God keeps His promises. They are secure because He loves His children. Now notice when I asked you to give your thoughts on God's love, I didn't ask you to define God's love. I didn't ask you to give me a meaning. I think it's impossible to define God's love. Sure, I can give you a summary and say the cross, or I can say the name of Jesus. But if we were to define and articulate what the love of God is, I think we would have to agree with the Apostle Paul who said this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. that we would know the boundless love of God. But it's something that we can't put a meaning or comprehend because it is so vast and so great. I mean, we've been talking about, in Romans, wrath 
and sin and judgment and just the terrible problem of all the things that come with sin and and what it means to fall away and and what it means to to live in such a way that isn't pleasing to God and the heavy burden that is. And I'm sure there have been Sundays as we were walking our way through the early chapters of Romans where you're thinking, oh boy, when is this going to get good? And, and, and here we are because this is God's love for us. I mean, this is something that we should leave here as we hopefully did last week, running out of the doors, telling every person that the Creator loves His creation, that the Creator loves His children, that the Creator is moving every obstacle so that we could be with Him and is based on the fact that He loves us so securely that He will never let us go. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Thank you for the amen. There's one person that's like on fire for that thought. Verse 35, Paul says this, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Now, this is another question that Paul was asking in these series of questions as he introduced to us the thought that God, from start to finish, called us, justified us, and glorifies us. And he was asking these questions to get us to, get us to consider, is there anything, is there any kind of obstacle, is there any person, is there any power, is there any possibility that what God started could change? And so in verse 35, he he supposes the question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists seven areas. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now Paul has just established in, in the previous verses that it is impossible for anyone any person to take away our salvation. There's nobody who can condemn us. God, the righteous judge, has declared us free. And so he anticipates this similar question and he asks, is it possible for any circumstance to rob us of our salvation? And sometimes that's where the trouble is for us. The circumstances I'll say it another way. The consequences. The things that happen in our lives. And sometimes we bring it upon ourselves. Or the things that happen in our lives because we belong to Jesus. And our King is in heaven. Is there anything that could possibly happen that can tarnish or change the magnificent love of God that is directed towards us through His Son. Now the the chapter, or the verse opens up in verse 35 with the word who. Uh, That comes from a Greek word, it's the Greek word tis, T-I-S. Now that word can be translated who as it was in the previous verses, but it can also be translated as what. And and if you look at the context of of verse 35, Paul isn't talking about personal things, but he's talking about the impersonal things that happen to us. 
And so when we see verse 35, it's probably better to, to see this verse as translated, what will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. And so the question that's hanging over us is, is it possible? I mean, look at these things. Tribulation. Now, the word tribulation carries the idea of being squeezed or placed under pressure. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever gone through trials for following Jesus Christ? Have you ever felt the pressure from an unbelieving world? Family members, employees, neighbors that look at you and think there is something wrong with you? Have you ever gone through the trials of life of following Jesus and what it means to, to obey Him and understand that not everyone else follows the Lord the same way? They cut corners. They take the easy way out. And it often brings tribulation. In Scripture, this word tribulation is perhaps most often used of outward difficulties, but it is also a, a word that is used to describe the emotional stress, the inward struggle, the adversity, the severe adversity in general, and the kind that is common to all people for following the Lord. Will tribulation separate us from the love of God? Now here's what we need to understand when we look at all of these characteristics or all of these uh, possibilities that Paul is introducing to us. He's not referring to our love for God. That's so important for us to understand. It's not that tribulation or persecution or trials or suffering or nakedness or peril or sword or anything will change It's conditional on our love for God, and it changes the relationship. What Paul is inviting us to consider is, what is God's love for us? We talked about this a few weeks ago. 1 John 4.19 clearly declares, we love because God has first loved us. There's nothing inside of us that is groping towards this idea of God's love unless he first initiates and instigates the love and shows it to us through His Son. The ultimate show of God's love is our salvation. And so is there any circumstance powerful enough to cause us as true believers to turn against Christ in a way that would cause Christ to turn His back on us? And so even in tribulation, is it going to change God's love? What about distress? Distress comes from a compound word in the Greek which comes from two terms for narrow and space. The idea is that tribulation carries the primary idea of strict confinement and distress means being hemmed in. Right? The walls are closing in. Do you ever feel like the walls are closing in around your life? Do you ever feel so overwhelmed with the situations of life where all you see is that thing in front of you? 
Like you look around and there's nothing. In fact, you probably can't even look around. Will distress change God's love or remove it from our hearts? How about persecution itself? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Blessed are you when they persecute you in my name. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution is never pleasant, right? How many of you look for opportunities to be persecuted? How many of you run towards those? How many of you are keenly aware and excited about being maligned, gossiped about? Your character is destroyed and put on public display. Being passed over for a promotion. Not being appreciated for the hard work that you're doing in the Lord. People keep score and watch for everything that you say and do. And say, oh, you're a Christian. But you, you just yelled when you smashed your thumb with a hammer. And then the serious persecution. Probably a persecution that we haven't ex- ever experienced. But the kind that many people are experiencing today of being taken out of their homes and beaten and thrown in jail and martyred because they love Jesus. Will that remove God's love from us? What about famine? Paul mentions famine. A famine probably results from persecution. When Christians are discriminated against, they can't afford to buy what they need. Many believers have been imprisoned for their faith and have gradually starved to death because of inadequate food. Or nakedness. Will that separate God's love from us? This isn't complete nakedness, but it's the idea of... um, not being able to properly, adequately clothe yourself. You know, the hardships that come from following Jesus. It's the idea of being vulnerable and unprotected. That the cost of following Jesus may take us places where we are extremely vulnerable. Will that separate God's love from us? Or peril? Peril itself is a general term. If, if, if all these other terms weren't enough, Paul says, what about peril? Just being exposed generally to danger. Danger from treachery and mistreatment. Will that separate God's love? Or the sword. Now the sword here that Paul has in mind isn't this huge kind of Excalibur sword, but probably the sword that Paul had in mind was the short dagger that the Roman soldier carried to their belt that was for close contact. And it was often used 
by the assassin because it was easily concealed. The sword was a symbol of death and suggests being murdered rather than dying in military battle. Will that separate God's love? Now here's the thing when you think about these terms. Paul's not just picking arbitrary thoughts out of the air. He's not sitting there thinking with pen in hand, well, what are the object lessons that I can paint from my perspective to help them to understand this? And he just went through you know, a, a thesaurus and said, okay, let me find similar words for persecution. And here are the six or seven words. Now, th- this was Paul's personal experience. He wrote from his own understanding. In fact, six of these seven, outside of the sword that is mentioned last, is what Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as he talks about the cost of following Jesus Christ. And we, we looked at those verses a couple weeks ago as Paul was shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead. He was without much and he was left alone and all of these hardships that were visited upon Paul. And as Paul went through his own experience, it was a settled truth that there was nothing that he faced in life that could ever change the love that God has for him. And he writes from that experience. And we may not experience everything that Paul experienced. We may only experience one or two of these things. But the thing that we need to walk away with is that we can be absolutely certain that there is nothing, no hardship. And I love this about God's love. It is not conditional. Because I look at these seven things that are listed, and I think that's what happens to people that are in trouble. No. You know, the lie is that God loves us and everything will be easy and good, and there is no problems. I want to be careful when I say this, but the harsh reality is in a fallen world, these things will visit us because we belong to the King. We can't run away from this. Jesus said in the Gospels, If they persecuted you, know they persecuted me first. If I suffer, you will suffer. Because the servant isn't greater than the master. If they kill Jesus, expect it. As Paul says in verse 36, just as it is written, For your sake we were being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And what Paul does is he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. We call it the Septuagint. And this quote comes from Psalm 44, verse 22. Just as it is written, what Paul is doing, what he's writing to the people in the church in Rome, what he's saying to us, what every believer needs to understand is that suffering wasn't a new thing in the New Testament. That even in the Old Testament, 
There was this overwhelming truth that to follow God meant that trouble and trials and suffering and pain and problems were going to come upon you because your home is not this home and your king is not a king that you can see. All day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So you shouldn't be surprised. Like if, if trouble visits you because you belong to Jesus, you shouldn't sit there and go, oh my word, I never knew this could happen. And, and, and you shouldn't look at it inwardly and say, am I the only one? This is the general, normal experience of following Jesus. If you're spending your life trying to avoid these things, you're likely not living the way that Christ wants you to live. Like if you're always looking over your shoulder wondering, how do I get out of this jam? Boy, I, don't, I heard them say this about that Christian. I don't want them to say it about me. If you're looking for the escape route, then maybe God is saying this morning, listen, I'm inviting you to press into it because it's not a condition of love. And His love will never leave you as you face it. So what does Paul say? Listen, Troubles visiting us in verse 35. It has always visited God's people. Verse 36. What's the reality in verse 37? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. In all these things. That word overwhelmingly is a wonderful word. It's, it's, it's a, a compound verb. It means hyper-conquer. That's the literal rendering. We are hyper-conquerors. Did you ever see a kid that was hyper? Yeah, they're all over the place. Like it's, you should be here and they're up here. That's the truth of what we are in Christ. We are not just barely conquerors. We don't just make it. We don't just get there. But in Christ Jesus, through Him who loved us, we are hyper-conquerors, over-conquerors. We have success to spare. We don't just make it. Those who overwhelmingly conquer are supremely victorious in overcoming everyone and everything that threatens their relationship to Jesus Christ. By God's love, this is the power of God's love, you will overcome. What, a, what an appropriate song the praise band sang before I got up here. Jesus overcame, and in Him we overcome. And that's the important truth in verse 37. Through Him, through Him 
who loved us. We do this entirely through the power of Jesus. Entirely through the power of the Savior that gave His life for our sin. Then you tie this truth in verse 37 with what we learned about in verse 28. That hardships, the hardships that fall upon us in verse 35, don't hurt us. They only help us because as verse 28 declared, they all work together for good. You see the connection with all of this. Like These are not isolated truths that are like, oh, we're going to go to this verse for this thing and then we're going to jump over here for this thing. They all fit because as God is conforming us into the image of His Son, there is never a wasted opportunity for God to bring Christ's likeness into our lives. And all along the way, even when we are struggling, even when we are doubting, even if we are wondering, God is holding us to Him by His love and He will never let us go. From start to finish, we are held by the power of God's love. And so Paul summarizes in verses 38 and 39, if, if those things mentioned in verse 35 couldn't do it, how about this? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And this chapter closes with a beautiful beautiful summary of what has just been said. There's some some contrast being uh, painted by Paul. You know, the extremes of this or that. Well, this or that. But Paul assures us that he is convinced. This word convinced carries the idea of being persuaded or sure of the truthfulness of something. Remember, he experienced it himself. And Paul's experience is, I am convinced. And isn't that what we need sometimes? Don't we need people to come alongside of us sometimes to to not just cheer us on, but to get into the foxhole with us and show us that it's going to be okay? That we're going to make it, that God's going to be there, and that His love hasn't changed? They're going to bring the verses of Scripture to us to remind us and encourage our hearts. I mean, this is the value of community. Paul is expressing community from his own experience. He's like, hey guys, I've been there. I know what it's like. And God will be there to keep you and to guard you and to secure you all by His love. This is why you need the person sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you. This is why gathering together in the way that we do is so important. I pray that you never minimize what takes place here. 
that it never takes back seat to anything else. Now, this doesn't mean that you're never allowed to go on vacation or you're never allowed to do fun things that maybe happen on a Sunday. But what it means is that it's a priority to be gathered in the presence of God with his people because you might be the person of encouragement that that person needs beside you or you might need it from someone else. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into this place thinking, oh, I just need to get through it today. And one of you will say something or share something or read something or pray something. And I feel like God appointed you for me to hear that. To kind of wake me up like, I remember being a kid, and if my dad's watching, you know, don't be sending my dad all these crazy messages, but, you know, that kind of like, he grabs you by the collar of the neck, and it's like, all right, come with me. Like, you, we need that. And I, I'll be honest, I mean, I, I don't have the privilege when I feel that way on a Sunday morning of saying, I'm just not going to go today. <laughs> it, it would be super strange from your perspective if I just didn't show up one Sunday, but there are times I don't feel like it. I get it. I, I know. But it has been impressed upon me again and again just how valuable this is. I pray that you know that personally. Paul was convinced. Now he begins this list with death. For I am convinced that neither death, which is in our earthly life, the last thing that we experience, right? It's the last thing. It's not the first thing. It's the last thing. Death, that supreme enemy, cannot separate us from the love of God. The Lord has changed the sting of death, as 1 Corinthians 15 declares, into victory. 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death is not the end. As I visited with Rick's dad on Friday, a man who knows his Savior and has trusted him, he has no fear. He has sadness. But he has no fear. He's ready. Donald Gray Barnhouse, and I may have shared this story before, but I love just the illustration of it. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a pastor in Philadelphia 50 years ago or so. His wife died when his children were still fairly young, and they went to the funeral, and they were in the car coming back from the funeral service, and a large truck had passed over the vehicle. And it cast a dark shadow over the car. You know what it means, right? You've been on the highway and a semi comes by and it's like super dark. His father, or their father, asked him, or asked the children this question, would you rather be run over the tr- by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? 
And our kids said, well, that's an easy question to answer, Dad. We would rather get run over by the shadow because that wouldn't hurt. Donald Gray Barnhouse, in, in the day of grieving the loss of his wife and mother of his children, said to his children, well, children, your mother just went through the valley of the shadow of death and there's no pain there either. Just a shadow. It's an introduction, really. It's a transition to go home with the Lord. Death won't separate us from the love of God. Neither will life. Now that seems silly, right? But isn't it life where all the trouble is? It's it's while we're living that we face all the troubles. Not just the troubles that were listed in verse 35, but also the troubles of the, the flesh and temptation and the struggles that we face. Will life separate us from the love of God? No. Because we have eternal life in Christ, the threats during our present life are empty. God will continue to love us when we die, and He will continue to love us whatever may befall us now. His love is on both sides of the grave. It is complete. Now Paul mentions another threat, nor angels. Now that seems strange. I thought angels did good. Well, they do. This is like a hypothetical kind of thing. Even God's powerful created beings. Could they do anything to separate us from God's love? No. Or principalities. And this is the other, other side. So you have angels and you have principalities. And the word principalities is used in Scripture to refer especially to evil beings. Demons. You know, the things that keep you up at night. Paul is saying that no supernatural created being, whether good or evil, can sever our relationship with Christ. Nor things present or things to come. Everything you are experiencing in your life right now will not change God's love for you. And everything that you will face in the future, that cannot separate you from the love of God. The only thing that's by itself here in the contrast is powers. It's, it's by itself. You had death, life, angels, principalities, present things, things to come, and now you have powers. This word powers is in the ordinary Greek, the, the word dynamite or dunamis. Uh, in, it, in its plural form, as Paul uses it here, refers to miraculous or mighty deeds. It was also used figuratively to talk about people that were in positions of authority or power. Like, is there anyone that is in a position above you? Will there ever be a change to the laws of the land that will change God's love for you? No. Never. You are secure. Especially for Roman Christians that had a Roman emperor that was not favorable to the Roman church. They needed to hear that there was no power that could change God's love. I mean, we often look 
at all of the trouble that visits us based on what Paul says here as maybe a judgment. These are not judgment things. This is what happens when you belong to Jesus and live in a fallen world. And it's a reminder to us that it is the normal experience of believers to face suffering for the Lord. And God's love is so strong, He will hold you in the midst of it so that we are not tempted to walk away or run away or hide from those experiences. And then Paul concludes, nor height, nor depth. These terms were used that were familiar in that day to explain the high point of a zenith's of the zenith of a star's path and its lowest point as it went over the night sky. The idea seems to be from the beginning to the end in the believer's life. God's love will never change. There's one more thing. If that wasn't enough, I mean, if this wasn't enough to confirm to us the magnitude of God's love and the certainty of His love, He then adds, nor any other created thing. It's like the, oh, by the way, here's everything else. No other created thing. God is uncreated. Every, everyone and everything else is created. So what that means is there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And there's something important to consider there in those created things. You. You can't do anything. When God's love is directed towards you and you have received that love through the cross, and His forgiveness has been applied to your account, and you have been made righteous in His eyes, And there is no condemnation. And God is causing all things to work together for good for those who love Him. Those who are called according to His purpose. And those whom God called, He will bring to the ultimate end of their glorification. Because He loves you. Not even you can get in the way of God's love for you. Oh man, is that a a comfortable, amazing, wonderful thought. Like I can't even screw it up. I can't. It's like Charlie Brown, right? Trying to kick the football. Like, I, you know, I, I can't do anything to, to ruin God's favor and love. There's nothing anywhere at any time that shall be able to separate us from the love of God. So, not general love, peculiar love, the love of God which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's nothing. Our salvation was secured by God's decree from eternity past and will be held secure by Christ's love through all future time and through all eternity. What a wonderful assurance. Nothing in this world or out of this world can separate us from God's love. I have a feeling that some of you needed to hear that this morning. I know I did. I pray that God's word is a comfort to you. 
And I pray that we are all convinced that Paul, with Paul, that God has an unending love for his children and keeps his promises for all eternity. Let's pray.